All right, welcome to the live Eat For Your Gut webinar. My name is Brooke. I am the clinical nutritionist at Integrative Wellness Group, and I work alongside of Dr. Nicole here. Dr. Nicole just recently published her first cookbook, Eat For Your Gut, in the Eat For Your Condition series. Um, again, tonight we are going to be discussing the Eat For Your Gut cookbook. It's part of the Eat For Your Condition series. There are five books total in the series, um, and they will be coming out over the next year, two years, um, bunch of different topics, and we're going to go through that tonight with Dr. Nicole. She is going to talk to us about why we should be eating for our gut. She's going to talk about the connection with the gut and the thyroid and autoimmunity, inflammation. So we're going to be going through all of that good stuff tonight as well. Um, and then we do have some special giveaways for the people who do join us tonight. So if you are watching, you're in luck. Dr. Nicole just recently per, um, published the Eat For Your Gut cookbook. It is the first of five of the Eat For Your Condition series. We're going to talk about the other books that will be coming out shortly as well. Um, but first, I want to get into Eat For Your Gut. Um, you know, what does that really mean? And we have a tagline that is, um, it says, a paleo-inspired guide to decreasing inflammation, healing the gut, and managing autoimmunity. So I just wanted to ask you to share with our viewers tonight a little bit more about what that means. Well, before I dive into that, I actually do want to give a little background on myself and my title as a functional medicine practitioner, because I think some people don't really know what that is and, you know, might be wondering what my credentials are and, you know, kind of what brought me to creating the book in the first place. Um, so I'm Dr. Nicole Rivera. I am, uh, I have a doctorate in chiropractic, um, and then I decided to go further with my education and go into uh, functional medicine. So it was a wonderful thing when I embarked on functional medicine because I was able to take my passion for, for medicine and science and biochemistry and then bring that together with my love for food because I've always been a huge, huge foodie. Um, so with that being said, uh, functional medicine, just to be clear, is a, it's a different approach to healthcare in the sense that we do uh, very specific testing. Um, some testing, you know, you would be familiar with, like blood testing and maybe urine testing. We usually do more specific testing, things like neurotransmitter testing, heavy metal toxicity testing, alongside of the blood, as well as um, even um, other types of urine analysis that might check hormones. So we get very, very specific and we dive deep into somebody's case in order to really figure out what the root cause of their symptoms are. And our goal is to balance the body systems by finding out what the root is in order to get them well and get them well naturally, not using medication necessarily or um, surgeries. And don't get me wrong, there are some functional medicine practitioners that do utilize uh, medicine just in our practice. It's not in our scope. So we do use herbs, supplementation, and then, of course, we use diet. And that's what kind of brought me to the creation of the cookbook. So through clinical practice, I was seeing a ton of gastrointestinal issues, and it that doesn't necessarily mean it was people that were coming to me and saying, I have gastrointestinal issues, or I was diagnosed with IBS, or I was diagnosed with Crohn's, or anything like that. People were dealing with a lot of other symptoms that led me to believe there was a, a core root cause that was happening in the gastrointestinal system. 
And that's what brought me to the component of the tagline that talks about inflammation. So, so just to be clear what inflammation is, think about it this way. If you get hit in the leg, it blows up. And that's what you call inflammation. It's swelling to the area. People don't realize that can actually happen inside of your body. It can happen around your organs. It can happen in your blood vessels. And the different symptoms or conditions that will typically happen due to inflammation is going to be a combination of things, but it's going to be anything from pain to arthritis to fibromyalgia, even cancer, um, gut issues, headaches, and, um, and even high cholesterol. So those are going to be some of the most known inflammatory conditions. But there is a very large component that the gut plays in inflammation. And it's primarily because we're eating a lot of inflammatory foods and we just don't know it. And that's definitely something that we're going to dive into, kind of talking about why the book is laid out the way that it is. And it's in order to keep inflammation down so that people can heal. They can heal from their conditions. They can drop their blood pressure. They can, you know, really allow their, their organs to heal from the inside out. Um, so in the autoimmune world, some people might not know what autoimmunity means. And there's a variety of autoimmune conditions. And what it means is that your body, your immune system is actually attacking itself. So typically your immune system is attacking part of your body. It could be a specific organ or it could be your, your joints. It could be um, your, your cartilage. It could even be your, your nerves. So depending on what part of the body that the immune system is attacking, that is going to overall dictate what type of autoimmune condition that you have. Um, so you might be thinking, what does this all have to do with each other? And the, the biggest thing is, is the inflammation, the gut issues, and the autoimmunity, they all play into each other. And the reason why that that happens is because we eat food. And I think we kind of lost touch why we eat. We eat for nutrients. And we eat to fuel ourselves, give us energy. You know, think about our ancestors. Think about cavemen. They, they ate for fuel so they can hunt to survive and obviously, you know, take care of their families. But nowadays we eat because we're happy, because we're sad, because we're bored, because we're tired. We eat for a lot of other reasons. And with how much the food industry has changed, we are eating foods that are essentially damaging our gastrointestinal system. So these foods are damaging the gastrointestinal system and it's allowing for us to become infected with things like parasites, bad bacteria, as well as even yeast overgrowth. And if any of you have ever heard of candida, um, that is one of the forms of yeast. There's a variety of different types of yeast out there, but yeast is primarily fed by sugar. And sugar is honestly in everything that we're eating these days. So, you know, even if you go and you think, oh, I'm going to get a soy milk latte, I'm not going to put any sugar in it chances are that soy milk has 30, 40 grams of sugar in it. So we're getting a lot more sugar than we realize. And I would say the number one thing that I do see in my clinical practice is an overgrowth of yeast. So what happens is you can develop these things. You could be totally asymptomatic. You can have no problems whatsoever. And then you might experience 
gas, which, you know, most people are like, oh, it's normal, it comes and it goes. Um, then you might experience bloating. Then you might experience indigestion, burping, constipation, diarrhea, or just loose bowel movements occasionally. You might just to see this pattern and it comes and it goes, and then you get to a certain point that it sticks around. And that typically means that the gastrointestinal system is, is being compromised, and if it's yeast, bacteria, parasites, or all three, that they're becoming extremely overgrown, and they're pretty much wiping out the good stuff, which you call the probiotics. So this can happen for a very, very long time, and your body will always strive to keep you asymptomatic, so that's why you might think, oh, it's not that big of a deal because I have it sometimes, but then it goes away. But when it's there for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and some of you might be thinking, man, I ate a lot of sugar when I was a kid. You know, could it, could it still, could I, could I have yeast that stuck around from being, uh, eating all that sugar when I was a kid? And the answer is yes. So we, you know, we get older, the gastrointestinal system, you know, it's still imbalanced and you know, we haven't done anything about it because we don't realize that we have to. And that's when you can develop the autoimmune condition. So autoimmunity is very complicated, but I'm going to try to keep it really, really, really simple. So you have, say, this, this yeast that's in your gut. Let's use that as an example. So now what happens is your gut lining becomes a little damaged. And when you eat food, normally nutrients will pass from the gut and go into your blood. That's a normal thing. Your calcium, your magnesium, all that will go into your blood and goes wherever it needs to go. But what can happen is now this yeast is overgrown and now yeast starts to get into your bloodstream. And your body's like, whoa, 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 what is this stuff? This isn't supposed to be here. So your immune system attacks it. So this immune uh, attack can keep happening. It can happen every day, all day. So as your immune system is attacking, this is when the inflammation goes up. So now you have this global inflammation in your arteries, you have it in your, in your veins, you have it in around your organs, and you maybe start to feel puffy, maybe you can't lose weight, um, maybe you start to get headaches, maybe your blood pressure goes up, and you're kind of like, you know, I don't understand, what's going on? So this is going on for a long period of time, and every time your immune system attacks something, it creates a memory of it. So your immune system attacks the, the yeast and it creates a memory of it. So it keeps attacking it. Then what can happen is now because your gut is damaged, things are leaching into your bloodstream that are not supposed to be there. So now food particles can get into your bloodstream. So let's use gluten as an example. So gluten is wheat, like bread, pastas, etc. So gluten will now pass into your blood, which is not supposed to be there and your immune system attacks it. So your immune system attacks it and it creates a memory of it. So what happens is it's almost like the, um, they put the bad guy up in the police station and they say, if you see that guy, again, make sure to arrest him. But, but what happens is sometimes they get the wrong guy because he looks like him. And so this is what happens with gluten. It's like, hey, if you see gluten, make sure to attack him. He's the bad guy. But what can happen is the, the molecular makeup, the protein structure of gluten looks like your thyroid. And I'm not using this as a general example. There are studies to back this up. So it looks like your thyroid. So now your immune system says, hmm, that looks like gluten. But let's be on the safe side. Attack it. 
So now your body starts to attack your thyroid. And like I said before, this could be thyroid, this could be your joints, this could be your nerves, this could be a bunch of different systems in your body. But that is the general mechanism that happens is we damage the gut maybe through toxins, pesticides, and this is the organic versus not organic. Then we allow the infestation of the yeast, the bacteria, the parasites, and then that leads to the leaky gut, aka these things leaching into the blood, and that happening over the long term is what kicks off the autoimmune condition and all of the inflammation. So there's a huge snowball effect that happens. So when you want to reverse autoimmunity, you need to start in the gut. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, if questions come up about this, because I know it's a very complex topic, please submit your questions. We're going to answer them at the end. So since we were just talking about autoimmune conditions, why don't you tell us some of the most common autoimmune conditions you see and some of the symptoms that are correlated with those? Definitely. Um, I would definitely say the top one is going to be thyroid related. So that is going to be Hashimoto's. I would say Hashimoto's I see a lot more than Graves. The difference between the two is Hashimoto's is an underactive thyroid and uh, Graves is an overactive thyroid. So these are both in that autoimmune category, but they both, um, one can be hyper and one can be hypo. Um, I would say there's definitely been a lot of lupus. Um, that's a, another big one that I see. Fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis are, are close uh, thirds. Um, scleroderma, unfortunately, has been, I've been seeing that a lot more lately. Uh, scleroderma is definitely one of the, the more extreme cases in the autoimmune world, just because there's a lot more side effects. Um, but when you deal with autoimmunity, the global things that you're going to see amongst any types of autoimmune conditions is you're going to feel puffy. You're going to feel bloated. You're not really going to be able to lose weight very well. Um, and you're, you're going to have more pain than the average person. You might have pain. You might have, you know, just stiff joints, uh, achiness, but that's going to be pretty much unanimous amongst all autoimmunity. And I know some of you might be like, oh my God, I deal with all of that. Don't freak out. You have to get the right testing in order to, to know where you stand with that. Um, so don't automatically put yourself in that category. There's very specific ways that you can know for sure. Because don't get me wrong, if you have pain, achiness, stiffness, or you have inability to lose weight, sometimes that is not autoimmunity. Sometimes it's just, you know, a metabolism issue and, and, and there's other inflammation that can be there that's not uh, correlated with autoimmunity. So it's really just a matter of you have to get the proper testing in order to know where you fall in that category. Um, and then with the thyroid, I do want to have a little bit of a focus on that. And the reason why is because I have a lot of people that come to me and they say, oh, I'm here because I have a thyroid issue. And I say, okay. And they bring me old blood work. So I look at their old blood work and I go, when were you diagnosed with Hashimoto's? They say, what is that? So they're not being necessarily told that they're it's not just a thyroid issue, it's an autoimmune issue, which from what we've just talked about, that obviously has a lot to do with the gut. So again, if you've been diagnosed with hypothyroid, hyperthyroid, if you have a goiter, 
if you have nodules, if you have any of that, you want to make sure that you're getting the proper testing to know where you fall. Are you strictly a thyroid issue or are you actually dealing with something in the autoimmune world? And you need to have your antibodies tested, which is a simple blood test that you can request from your endocrinologist. Um, you know, if they're giving you a hard time about it, um, you might want to seek out seeing someone in the functional medicine world because that's going to be just routine blood work that we do. We're typically doing a lot more extensive blood work because again, we want to have the clear picture. We want to treat you very, very specifically for, for what's going on and, and get to the root cause essentially. So while we're on the topic of testing, mm -hmm. why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about the different types of testing that you do, mm -hmm. blood and stool and kind of elaborate a little more on all of those. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> So, like I mentioned before, you know, comprehensive blood work is really important. You, I always check for a whole autoimmune panel. I always want to either rule that in or rule that out because then I really know where I need to start with that person. Because if you, again, if you have a, a thyroid, an autoimmune thyroid condition, you might think like, let's do this. Let's, let's deal with my thyroid. Let's get my thyroid better. It's not really how it works. You have to get to the root cause, which is stemming from the gut imbalance. And again, if the gut is imbalanced and you are dealing with bacteria, parasites, yeast, whatever it is, and that is leaching into your bloodstream, that is what is making your immune system overactive. So that is what you need to calm so that you can really stop the autoimmune attack and then get the immune system more balanced. So it's really a matter of looking at that. So talking about bacteria, parasites, yeast, the primary way that you're going to know if that's something that's going on is you have to do a stool analysis. Not the most glamorous process, let's put it that way. <laughs> but um, it gives you a lot of really, really good information. Um, not all stool analysis is created equal. So there is a, a lab that we use called Doctor's Data. So again, if you are you know, working with a physician, working with a functional medicine doctor already, you would want to request to use that lab because typically the in-network stool analysis through Quest and LabCorp, they're only checking for one or two parasites. They're not checking for the yeast and they're not checking for the bacteria, which are the primary things that I'm finding. Parasites are, I find them, not as common though. Yeast, I would say, is, is the number one. And again, it's because the yeast is fed by sugar. And I don't mean just, because you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm not a sweets person. I don't eat a lot of sweets. It's not just sweets. It's carbs. And that's your breads, your pastas, your rice. It's your, uh, your quinoas, your beans. All of those fall in that category of, of feeding yeast. So it's not just about necessarily the refined white sugar, it's also going to be the, the carbohydrates as well. Um, so stool analysis is a really important one for knowing where you stand with your gut health. And um, the blood analysis is gonna give you just kind of a look at everything. It'll measure your inflammatory markers. It'll also look to see if you are dealing with anything in the autoimmune world. Um, another big test that I use a lot is actually um, neurotransmitters. And, and the reason why I do that is we're all stressed out to an extent. And we all say, you know, stress is bad and we shouldn't be stressed out. And, you know, we know that we feel different when we're stressed. 
The thing is, is we don't realize that stress is playing a biochemical role on our body. We're actually changing our chemistry. And when you have an overabundance of stress hormones, that is also going to be something that tremendously impacts your digestion. So think about it this way. If you're in the woods about to fight a tiger or run, that's what you call fight or flight. So fight or flight is you're an adrenaline overload. So if you're in the woods about to fight that tiger, then your body is not interested in digesting a meal. It's not important. You're, you need to either save your energy stores to fight the tiger or run. So digestion gets highly downregulated in the event that you're stressed. So you always need to look at that component to see, you know, is stress and stress hormones playing a role in this person's gastrointestinal system? So you really want to look at the stool, you want to look at the blood, and then you do want to look at the neurotransmitters, which is typically going to be a urine uh, and saliva-based test. Awesome. So let's get to the fun part, and let's talk about the food, because <laughs> that's the best part of the cookbook, right? Um, tell us a little bit about the food and paleo-inspired and really what all that means as well. Yeah, I, you know, I chose my words uh, carefully with saying paleo-inspired. Um, the biggest thing with paleo is, um, I love paleo, paleo is fantastic, um, but paleo, they take away the beans, the peanuts, which is legumes, and they do take away the grains. And like I said before, those are foods that can feed yeast, aka they are inflammatory. So in my cookbook, I have removed any inflammatory foods. So I've removed, you know, the refined foods, the processed foods. I've removed the, uh, the grains, even the grains that are deemed healthy. I, I removed the quinoa. I removed the rice. Those are good quality foods, but not when you're dealing with inflammation. You need to eliminate those foods for a short amount of time. Um, and I did eliminate the beans. The beans are not just because of um, them being inflammatory, but beans are a prebiotic food. And prebiotics feed probiotics. So that's a really good thing, but beans will also feed the bad stuff. So if you have the yeast or the bacteria in your gut, yes, you might be feeding all of the good probiotics that are present, but you're also going to feed the bad stuff too. So you need to keep the beans out for a short amount of time to get your gut to a better place. Um, but a little bit different than paleo, hence why I said paleo inspired, not full on paleo, is um, I did incorporate some nuts and seeds uh, because I really wanted to mimic, I wanted to keep the food what were, what maybe we grew up with. You know, I wanted to keep some of those rich tasting foods in there, but I wanted to take out the dairy. So the way that I did that was I made a lot of cream sauces or, um, dips that are like cream based and I made those with uh, utilizing nuts and seeds and they taste awesome but um, you know you would never really know that it's not actual cheese or, or not actual dairy so I know that in some paleo uh, books they they don't use any nuts and seeds but I did opt to utilize them um, because again we want you to get well we want you to be on a diet that's going to be supporting your gut decreasing the inflammation and managing the autoimmunity, but we want it to taste good. <laughs> we want it to be enjoyable and, you know, we don't want you to feel like you're just eating 
celery, carrots and celery sticks all day or just salads. You know, it's a, it's quite an array of different types of foods. Um, and it's a very good balance of vegetables as well as protein. Cause I know that another uh, mindset that we get into with paleo is meat, 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 meat. And that's, that's like not bacon, 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 yes, bacon, exactly. bacon, bacon. And I don't everything. even, there's really no bacon even in the cookbook. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that pork is, it's not the cleanest, um, unless you're getting heritage pork. So I opt for trying to, you know, not utilize it as much. I'm not saying bacon is bad. Just don't overdo it. That's really the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a healthy balance of, of your vegetables as well as your proteins. So even if you were a vegetarian or a vegan, you could still get this cookbook and have a solid 60 recipes that are going to be something that you can consume. Um, so it's really not all about the protein. You, you definitely want to have the balance because the vegetables are, are super important as well. And I'll say as someone who's tried a lot of these recipes, because luckily when Nicole's cooking and we have to take pictures <laughs> and she's got this like banquette style of food already <laughs> for everyone, she invites everyone over. Um, but sometimes it can be overwhelming. You know, you start to think you have to remove so many things from your diet. You have to remove grains. You have to get rid of cheese. You know, there are so many good recipes in the book that substitute cauliflower for rice. They mm -hmm. substitute other good things. I know that there's that awesome cheese sauce recipe in there too. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that you need to be scared about taking these things out. We've, mm -hmm. she's kind of come up with a way that we can still give you all of those good things, but give you what you need to support your body in the proper way. Yeah. And that's one thing that I tell all of my clients is, is I say, I grew up the way you did. I, I didn't grow up in this super organic, healthy family. You know, we ate we had, uh, you know, I'm from New Jersey, so we ate pasta every Sunday, pasta, meatball, sauce, or gravy. <laughs> um, you know, we had uh, fried chicken cutlets, we had lasagna, we had all those things. So it's not that um, this is something that I, I, I've been doing for my whole life, I, but my interest was taking these foods that I grew up with and really trying to healthify them essentially and and swap the ricotta cheese for maybe a macadamia nut cream sauce and it's funny because I have friends that come over and they're like really this isn't cheese and I'm like no it's not <laughs> so you'd be surprised on how you know with the right inspiration you can make things taste really really amazing by still being healthy and and healing your body and decreasing that inflammation and do we eat sweets here and there? Yeah, we do. And it's really about balance. So it's it's not driving yourself crazy with it, but it's having a guideline to empower yourself to know what to eat and what not to eat to get your body feeling better. Because unfortunately, too many of us don't feel well. And it, it amazes me the younger and the younger uh, that people are getting that are coming through my doors. And it's scary that they are developing these types of conditions at such an early age. So this is one of my inspirations for writing the cookbook was to get this on paper, get it out there in a bigger way so that people that maybe can't right now financially embark on working with a physician, you can start taking control and know that by every bite that you take, you are healing yourself. You're making your situation better. And you kind of said it in there, but why don't you tell people a little bit about the one for one program oh, that we're doing yeah. with the book too? Um, so 
I really wanted to, again, get this out in a big way. And one of the things that we decided to do is for every book sold, we will be donating a book to an autoimmune foundation. And again, this book is not just for people dealing with an autoimmune condition, but we just figured that they're going to benefit so much from this. So that is the foundations that we decided we're going to go forward with, you know, as of right now to donate the book. But it is a one-for-one -one model, very similar to Tom's shoes. You know, they said for every pair of shoes that were sold, they were going to donate it to someone in need. Uh, we're doing the same exact thing with these cookbooks in order to get them into the hands of people that need them the most. Awesome. Cool. And uh, when can we expect to see paper-based? I know everybody's wondering about this. We've had a lot of yes, questions um, on that one. So, yes, it's an ebook. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I really didn't want to go the self-published mm -hmm. route, so that's why we decided to... Uh, do it as an ebook, and uh, overall, we I'm working with um, a company in order to do the publication. So I am shooting for February of 2016 that we will have the paper-based version. Um, so we will obviously keep you in the loop about when to expect that. But we hope that you enjoy the ebook right now. I know that sometimes we want that paper-based version of it. But in reality, most of us are looking on our phone when we're looking for our recipes. So, you know, if you have it on your iPad or you have it on your computer, you can download it to multiple devices. You'll be able to access it a lot easier. Um, so before we move on to some questions and, and getting into the special offers that we have for you guys, too, why don't you tell us a little bit about the other books that are coming out for more? Um, so when... Like Brooke mentioned before, um, you know, the author of the Eat for Your Condition cookbook series. So the it's a series because in the beginning I was embarking on writing, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was going to turn out to be close to a 900-page cookbook because it had various chapters that were um, talking about different conditions. So we decided to split them up into different books um, so that, you know, we can cater and, and market to people that maybe have a specific condition so that they can know that this cookbook is specifically for them. Um, so we started with the Eat for Your Gut, and it's primarily just because I think so many of us are dealing with gastrointestinal issues. Um, if we know it or we don't, um, you know, maybe people after seeing this webinar and they realize maybe the bloating and the gas and the burping that they're dealing with, maybe that isn't normal, um, that they can, you know, utilize the, this style of cooking in order to get themselves um, on a better track. But um, we also, the next one coming out is called Eat for Your Thyroid. So Eat for Your Thyroid is recipes obviously all geared about healing the thyroid, but I will be including my autoimmune chapter that is in the Eat for Your Gut uh, cookbook as well, primarily because of what I mentioned before, so many people are thinking they have a, just solely a thyroid issue and not knowing or not realizing that it's actually an autoimmune issue. So I want to make sure that people have those resources um, in the Eat for Your Thyroid book. Um, so the next one is going to be Eat to Detox, which is really geared towards helping people to detoxify their liver, get their bodies detox mechanisms working. Um, this is another book that can really help with inflammation. It can help with heavy metal detoxification. Um, it can help with gallstones and can even help with liver stones. I know people don't realize liver stones exist, but they do. Um, and then, or even someone dealing with hepatitis um, 
or um, cirrhosis of the liver, it can be very beneficial for them as well. Uh, then we have also eat for your blood sugar, which is going to be definitely helping people to manage their blood sugar, manage their weight. And then obviously it will help uh, people that are classified as diabetics. Um, if you're diabetic type one, then you do want to purchase the eat for your gut book because that is an autoimmune condition. Um, and then the last one is eat for your hormones. Um, eat for your hormones is, I, I'm a, you know, it's funny because I, I have a, there's a lot of foods that are really beneficial for your hormones, but in reality, um, you can't have normal hormones until you have a normal gut. So, you know, the, the eat for your gut is really where you want to start if you're dealing with any type of hormonal issues. And then the Eat for Your Hormones book will be really beneficial for helping your body with the replenishment phase and then helping your body to make more of those, those hormones. But uh, that's the five total books. Uh, so I have a lot of work ahead of me in the next uh, two years. And we have a lot of food to eat. <laughs> you so, might want to stick around for one of the next cookbook release parties where we get to taste everything for those of you who came to the first one. Yeah, it was really fun and got a lot of great feedback and all the food was gone. So that's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I do have some questions here. I'll read them off to you and, okay, then, and if you'd like to answer. Mm -hmm. So my first question here is from Jill. Mm -hmm. um, she says, I have a lot of brain fog. For brain health, do you usually start working with the gut or do you start working with neurotransmitters? Also, who should get neurotransmitter testing? Great question. Um, so when you're dealing with brain fog, usually you are having some level of inflammation in the brain. Brain fog can be classified as, yes, brain fog, sh uh, short-term memory loss, long-term memory loss, um, as well as ADD, behavioral issues, um, even sensory issues. All of that generally falls under the same category of there is some level of inflammation that's happening in the brain. So if you have any of those symptoms that I mentioned, if it's irregular bowel movements, if it's bloating, constipation, if you used to eat a lot of sugar or you still do any of those things, then you really want to start in the gut because if you start to decrease that inflammation, your brain fog might resolve completely or if it improves and then you hit a plateau, that's when you do want to do the neurotransmitter testing to have more clarity. Um, neurotransmitters are going to really be super indicative of our mood, um, it's going to be indicative if we have anxiety and things like that. Neurotransmitters are not always going to be 100% reflective of brain fog. It's kind of more about our coping, our mood, our anxiety levels, our stress levels. So with brain fog, I would always start with decreasing the inflammation. So making those dietary recommendations through the book, um, you know, definitely start there to see if that helps. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Denise had a question. I have chronic Lyme's disease and lots of inflammation. Mm -hmm. Any, I have uncontrollable cra cravings for sugar. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I have yeast issues? Specifically, how do you treat yeast and do you use supplements or diet only? Um, so yes, yeah, so if you're having major sugar cravings, like especially uncontrollable ones, I can almost say a hundred percent you have some type of yeast imbalance. Um, so you have to do two things in order to know if you have a yeast problem. So you definitely need to do a stool analysis. The other thing is, is I always test what you call candida yeast antibodies in the blood as well. 
So this is really important for anybody who might um, have might have gone through a functional medicine program or worked with a holistic doctor or um, maybe suspected yeast issues and then was told they don't have them. So what happens is that whole conversation we had about the yeast, it overgrows, it gets into the bloodstream and the immune system starts to attack it. So when that happens, your body is very smart. So it'll actually say, what can we do to fix this? And it will take the yeast and it'll bury it. It'll bury it into the walls of your intestines and your colon. And it puts a nice little layer of saran wrap over top. The saran wrap is called a biofilm. The biofilm is this mesh of crap, essentially, that buries your biofilm, or I'm sorry, buries, buries your yeast or your bacteria or your parasites or all three. And it makes it very hard to diagnose you properly. So you, as a practitioner, you have to understand what you're looking for. So you need to understand that if somebody is complaining of sugar cravings, if they have a history of yeast infections, if they have a history of UTIs, if they have fungal infections in the nails, if they have brain fog, all of those things are indicators. So sometimes the testing, obviously the testing is very valuable, but sometimes you have to use your general knowledge of under, understanding what a yeast infection or overgrowth looks like as well. Um, so talking about a biofilm, yes, supplements are very, very important. And also, even if you have a biofilm or you don't, and if you have uncontrollable yeast or um, sugar cravings, you really need the supplements to get you over the hump. Because if you start to starve the yeast essentially by going sugar-free and cutting out all the carbs, you're going to have a pretty rough time. If you use the right supplements to help you kill off the yeast and break down the biofilm, you will be able to manage your cravings and you will start to really decrease the amount of yeast within anywhere between two to four weeks. Some people have come to me and been on a candida diet or an, an, a no sugar anti-yeast diet. They've been on it for two years and they were still struggling. So, you know, if you embark on making the dietary changes with the cookbook and you hit a plateau or you feel like my sugar cravings are not getting better, you're definitely going to want to um, seek out the right testing and then also possibly get put on the right supplements. And it's true that the supplements are kind of different for different people, correct? Yes. That's why I'm not giving any, any supplement recommendations because when I do a stool analysis, um, the type of test, uh, the type of lab that I use It'll tell me the exact strain of either yeast or bacteria that you have, and then it tells me the exact supplement that is going to work best in your body. And everybody's different. <clears throat> Excuse me. So everybody's different. Great. So a question from Bridget. I have a lot of food allergies as well as seasonal allergies. Mm -hmm. Do you do food allergy testing, and how are, how are you able to help people with these sensitivities? So food allergies are an immune, immune system imbalance. So with everything we've talked about, the immune system is reflective of your gut health. So if you have poor gut health, again, if you're symptomatic or asymptomatic, meaning no symptoms, then if you have food allergies, there is some imbalance in the gut that is creating an imbalance in your immune system. So you have to figure out what is the core root. Is it yeast? Is it bacteria? Is it parasites? Is it more than one? So that's really what you need to figure out first because... If I, I don't usually jump to doing food allergy testing. And the reason why is because if I do a stool analysis and I figure out that you have a yeast overgrowth 
and we start making dietary modifications and doing supplements in order to get rid of that. And then obviously we will take out those major um, reactive foods, which is going to be the gluten and the dairy and things like that. And if you you might come to me in two weeks and be like, I feel so much better. Like I my body is fine. I'm handling all these foods. If you come to me two weeks later and you're like, oh my God, I am still having reactions to everything. That's when we'll do the food allergy testing. But food allergy testing will change so much once you get rid of whatever the imbalance is in the gut. So I have a question from Monica. I have heard a lot lately that genetically modified food is bad for me, but don't know why or even if this is true. Mm -hmm. Can you please clarify this for me? And then she also said thanks. She enjoyed the webinar. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Um, okay, so with um, genetically modified foods, you know, this is definitely a very uh, complex topic. But like I mentioned early in the webinar, I mentioned that you can definitely – your gut will become compromised, allowing for the overgrowth of the bacteria, the yeast, or the parasites. And the reason why the gut can become compromised is generally because of damage. And the damage can happen from pesticides, herbicides, all the things that we're getting exposed to from eating non-organic food. The thing to understand with that is I get people don't understand necessarily uh, organic versus not organic, but they used to use maybe like 10 to 12 pesticides on our produce. It's up to 256 pesticides now. That's a big difference. So these chemicals are not well tested. We don't really understand how they affect us. But all I can say is most of your friends and your family are talking about how their stomach doesn't feel good or they're talking about how they have pain and inflammation and they're talking about all these things. So there is some level of damage that's happening from eating foods with these pesticides. And then you have the genetically modified foods, which there's different categories of these genetically modified foods. There's the um, Roundup resistant. So pretty much what they do is they genetically engineer the seed, they plant it, and when it grows, they can spray as much Roundup, like literally the stuff that you're killing your weeds with, they can spray as much Roundup on the, uh, the crop as they want. It'll kill everything around it, but the crop will not die, like the tomato plant or whatever it is. It will not die. So they can load it up with all the Roundup they want. Um, there's another type of, um, uh, of uh, genetically modified uh, food that I'm totally forgetting the name of it, but it is what they're doing. So say it's a tomato plant. So the tomato plant grows and they want it to look more red because more people will buy it if it looks pretty. So they inject it with a solution like and they like enhance it. Yes. I'm totally forgetting the name, yeah. but um, they inject it. And then what's happening is it'll make it more red. But what they're doing is they're altering the genetics of the crop. So what the studies, what the studies are um, going on right now is now they're trying to look at the genetic mutations that are happening in the human body that are, you know, gearing towards cancer and different types of chronic illness. And is it a possibility that these gene enhanced foods are causing it? And, you know, I don't know if the research and, 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 if it's ever going to come out, because obviously the genetically modified food industry is huge, 
Um, but the biggest thing that they have found is that the genetically modified foods are wiping out all of the probiotics in the, in the gut. And I do testing on people. So I see where their probiotic levels are and people don't have them. Um, and we also have an overabundance of all the bad stuff. So yes, it is causing damage in the gastrointestinal system. And it's definitely something that I stay away from. Um, and I really think that if you stay away from it, you're not going to have such a chemical and toxic overload in the body. And you're also going to decrease your inflammation pretty tremendously from eliminating it. There's actually a really good movie that we like, and we've actually done a, a, a viewing here in our office called GMO OMG. And it's a really good introductory movie. If you don't know a whole lot about GMOs, it's um, a gentleman who kind of learns while he's in the process of the movie. And it's a really, really good movie. So if you want to learn more about GMOs, I would definitely recommend checking that out. It's on Netflix too. So um, one last question is from Erica. Mm -hmm. I read about oregano oil as a natural antibiotic. Mm -hmm. For someone with H. pylori or other bacterial overgrowth, do you think this would be beneficial in helping to treat it? Um, or do you think you should start balancing gut first? So um, that's a really good question. And I know before I mentioned, you know, not going too deep into supplements because everybody's different. But what's interesting is when I do the stool analysis and I do see the different strains uh, that people have within their system. And like I said, it will tell me specifically what supplement is going to work best to fight off whatever that strain of bacteria or yeast is. Um, oil of oregano is never one of those. And I found that interesting because I know that it's known to be a very, um, very potent, like antimicrobial, antifungal, but I have definitely not, uh, in most of the people that I see, it doesn't work very well for those cases. So um, grapefruit seed extract, which is also known as paramicrocidin, is something that um, I find that a lot of people um, that works well in their body. So if you're trying to, you know, to fight H. pylori, I would say try the grapefruit seed extract before the oil of oregano. Um, but again, you do need to be checked for those biofilms because you could take all the grapefruit seed extract that you want. If you have a biofilm, it's not going to work. So again, it's, it's kind of just having, um, a little bit more information about your body so that you're not, you know, trudging along for a year or longer feeling like I'm making such an effort. Why am I not getting better? We just got past a telegram on the types of GMOs. Oh. All three. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is. <laughs> what we can do is that we can actually, we're going to send you guys a follow-up email. Um, oh, and the, the desire, it's called desired trait. The one that I mentioned about the in injecting to enhance the genes. But um, we will send you this in the email as a follow-up for, for visiting the webinar. This will be recorded, um, and then you will have access to it. So if you do want to share it with any of your friends or family, um, we are you know, really excited for us to, to get the word out about the cookbook, but also just to, to help people get better and help people feel empowered. I know so many of us feel so helpless, you know, especially because you know, gastrointestinal issues are not very well understood even by gastroenterologists and people aren't really getting good answers and, and they don't really know where to turn. 
So this cookbook is a great starting place. And then, you know, they have us as a resource if, um, if there's more questions or, uh, or they need actual clinical support. And, um, and that's something that we're actually offering to you guys. If, uh, if anybody has very specific questions to their case or they want, um, you know, more information about what we do um, as, you know, functional medicine uh, practitioner and, and the clinical nutritionist, uh, Brooke will jump on a call with you totally free. Um, for 15 minutes, and you'll be able to pick her brain more about, um, you know, what we do and, and even more about the cookbook as well. So um, we're definitely happy to help in, in any way possible. And we're also going to be sending you a link to, if you haven't purchased the cookbook yet, or if you'd like to get another copy even as a gift for somebody, 10% uh, off of the book too. So you'll get a promo code in your email as well for that. Um, and always visit the website. It's eatforyourgut.com. One last thing that we do want to mention is there is an affiliate program. If you do buy the book and you love it and you want to share the word, spread the word about it, you can become an affiliate. So you would sign up, give us your information, you would get your own little link, and you could share that with people, and you do make a commission off of that as well. So just another way to give back, and thank you for helping to spread the word. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you uh, being part of this. And um, we actually have a podcast series that's kicking off next week. The first thing that we're talking about is infertility. Again, another thing that we hear way too much of. Um, there's a lot of people dealing with infertility issues right now. So we talk a lot about, you know, what you can do. Uh, where you can start, uh, the types of um, even practitioners and testing to request. So we really dive deep in that. And again, um, you know, if there's any questions that come up um, after our podcast or even after this webinar, we are happy to jump on a call with you guys to, to clarify anything. So we thank you so much for being part of this. We love you. Mwah. And we will see you next thank time. Thank you for coming.